Good morning. In the last several weeks, we have been in a series on prayer. Uh, prayer, a road less traveled, or the road less traveled is what we've been titling this. We do not desire at Northwest Community Church for that to be true. We desire for the road of uh, prayer at Northwest to be worn out for the glory of God. We desire for that to happen. We want that to happen. We know that when that happens, then great unity can take place, and that 2019 can be one of the best years we've ever experienced in our lives. And we believe that this series, yes, it is a series of, of five messages, the fourth one today, and then, of course, next week. And we know that because of those messages, that, that it can stir in our hearts to understand the discipline of prayer. That simply, we do not want it just to be five weeks on this subject and the business as usual. And so we would desire to see just an opportunity and openness about what prayer looks like in our life groups, what it looks like on Sunday morning, and we're looking forward to seeing how the Lord would lead in that. Many of you were here last week, and I want to make sure we understand the difference between this week and last week. Last week, what we were doing in Psalm chapter 13, it's a lamenting psalm. It is, David doesn't understand where God is, and he is overwhelmed. He is in a cave. He says, God, you're silent. You don't hear me, and he ends up praising God. The difference that we see today, the difference in the, in the text for today, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, is what we'll take a look at. And the difference between last week and this week is really this week is an opportunity for us to see someone who comes to God in anguish and in desperation and prays and God answers. It would be remiss of me not to be able to sit there and say that there are many in this room who have prayed for something and it hasn't happened. And what I don't want to do is I don't want the text, I don't want that to distract you from realizing that there is a God in heaven who does answer prayer. And I want us to be captivated that he does and, and allow, allow our confidence in him to keep coming to him, to keep asking him, to keep seeking him, to keep, what I say, pestering him. Because he'll never tell you to go to the bonus room. So that's what I do with my kids, so I'll let you know that sometimes. Listen, can you give us a break? Can you just go to the bonus room? God never says that. He says, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. But I do understand that in this text this morning, it's very important that we see Hannah who is in anguish and in desperation and is praying to God for God to do something and God answers that prayer. And so I am praying no matter what situation you are in, whether you're praying for something you haven't seen God answer, I am asking you to see the confidence that we have that we can come to a God who does answer prayer in his time. Many of you have been through uh, this battle that I'm gonna share with you in just a minute. Dana and I, in early 2000, we were told that we weren't able to have kids. We were told that it's called unexplained infertility. We're sorry, we don't understand why, but you're not able to have kids. And so I will tell you that that was an incredibly agonizing time for us, but it was one time that God really, really moved in our lives in a really real way, but it was incredibly difficult. Very, very hard. We were at a church where it was a lot of young people were coming and there were, it seemed like every single week there was a new couple standing up saying, oh, praise God, we're having, we're having to have a baby. And you want to celebrate with them, but at the same time, it was very difficult. It seemed like that everybody in our circle was having a baby and Dana was throwing baby showers and I remember sitting down with her and she would look at me and she would say, I feel like I've been put on this world not to be a pharmacist but I feel like that I'm put on this world to be a mom and I want to be a mom and God is telling me you can't do that. And so that was a, that was a difficult time. So in 2001, 
I had this idea that I'm going to get this prayer journal for us, and we're going to document. We're going to pray for things, and we're going to ask God to do some things. And so in 2001, I got this spiral-bound book. I opened it up. I went to Lifeway Christian Bookstore, and I bought these name cards, Andrew and Molly. And I said, God, if I have a daughter and if I have a son, that's what I'm going to name them. And so I put it on the front page of this prayer journal in 2001. And that sits next to our nightstand right now. And so we laid it open, and we had that Molly and Andrew, and, and, and this coming Tuesday, Andrew turned 16 years old, and I got to sit there and write down, God, you answered our prayer, and he'll be 16 this Tuesday, and then eight days later, Molly will be 15, and then two days after Molly turns 15, Luke will be 13, and 18 months later, Jake will be 12. I sit there to declare to you that we serve a God who listens, who hears and answers prayers. And I want to continue. I want to continue to fight and I want to continue to pray. I want to continue us to to fight and pray together and know what you're praying for and you know what I'm praying for and I know what you're praying for so that we can celebrate King Jesus when he does answer them or when he answers them and how he answers them. It was four years, six months four kids. I felt like a UFC fighter and I was just like tapping out. I was like, done. Please, everybody at the church that was praying for us, can you please stop right now? (laughs) Okay, they're answering. God's hearing you loud and clear. Okay, we got four at home. They're all in diapers and I'm going, oh boy, this is crazy. (laughs) It was absolutely insane. But I could say this, like I would tell you this right now that we've never learned more about King Jesus ever in our life than going through that situation. Never learned more about who he was. And so when I talk about Hannah, when we talk about Hannah this morning, we talk about prayer being a road that is less traveled. That's not what I want it to be for our church and not what I want it to be for you as an individual or me as an individual. And so I believe that 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2 will help us sort of take a look at how we can uh, see the road of prayer at Northwest Community Church to be a road that is worn out for the glory of King Jesus and not just a road that is traveled on at some times in our life. So 1 Samuel, chapter one and two, my goal when I set out to prepare this message several weeks ago in in November, I was just going with chapter two, one through 10, but the Lord really um, showed me that I need to go back to chapter one and then just go part of chapter two. So I think it'll make sense to you as we go along. So we got a lot to cover, and remember, this is a history book, so the writer is just telling us what's going on, what's taking place. And so we're going to jump into chapter 1 and start with verse 1 of 1 Samuel. And here's where we go. It says, There was a certain man of Ramathim Zophin, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanai, and the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Here's what I want you to know, as I just said, this is a history book. This is not an endorsement of polygamy, okay? This is a history book. What happened here is Elkanah had two wives. It's not an endorsement. It's just telling what took place. We understand when we take a look at scripture in Genesis and affirmed by Jesus on several occasions that marriage is between a man and a woman in a heterosexual relationship for life. And that is the way the covenant of marriage is defined by God. That's the way it is seen in scripture from what we see and what Jesus taught, what God taught and what Jesus affirmed. Look in verse six. 
and her rival used to provoke her. Penina is provoking her, grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Verse seven, so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. And therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. This is the worst case of bullying you've ever seen. It went on year by year, and it was tough. Number one, the Lord had closed her womb. Number two, this other woman, this other wife, was just giving her a lot of grief. And so, verse 8 says, And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? The reason she's looking at that is in this particular time, you have to understand there is no such thing as a 401k, okay? A family legacy or your possessions were maintained by the amount of children that you had. Hannah is unable to maintain that or pass on this legacy that she had or pass on her heritage. So she had no children to do that. The children at that time were to help with farming. Children were to help around the house. Children were to help protect the family from tribesmen coming in and trying to defeat them. Hannah had none of that, and this grew her very heavy in heart. And her husband could see that. She was distraught, and she was getting made fun of. Verse 9, they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh. Hannah rose. This is in Hebrew idiom. It's basically meaning she rose up in her spirit. What this word, when she says, Hannah rose, there was an awakening in her spirit to the God of creation. We'll see what takes place when we see that. Look at verse 10. She was deeply distressed. And what did she do? She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She prayed in anguish. She said, God, I want something from you. I want to see you do something. And I'm coming to you in great anguish to tell you exactly what it is. Verse 11, she declares some things. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. She made a bold declaration that God, if you give me my son, I'm gonna give him to you. He is mine, but he's actually yours. You're just loaning him to me. He is yours. Verse 12, I love this. And she continued, say it. What does it say? She continued praying. What great conviction that the road of prayer in her life was worn out. Don't you want your life to be summarized by that? Don't you want your life to, be, to look like that? And it says, she continued to pray. The last part of verse 12 says, before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. For 13, Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved. And her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. So here is, let me just tell you this right now. Eli is a priest, okay? I would say this. Let me just, I'm just gonna randomly jump off on a tangent here. Eli right now is the priest. I believe that he's seen people pray before. But let me make sure you understand something. He's never seen someone pray like this. That's important for us to see because we have the priest who regularly takes a look at that and we have him looking at Hannah going, hey, girl, put your drink down. You've had too much. She says, oh no, oh no. She answers him. Verse 15, 
But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I am a woman that is troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. What have I been doing? But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Verse 16, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. I had a friend look at me one time going through a difficult time. He looked at me and he said this. He said, you're going through a tough time. But when I was going through a tough time two years ago, you met me at Chick-fil-A in Apex. Uh, you said, I walked in with my shoulders down, my shoulders slumped and my head down. He said, I need you to know something. There's a God who loves you and I need you to put your head up and shoulders back and lead because of the confidence you can have in King Jesus. And Hannah right now is looking in anguish and in desperation and she's praying. And then what happens? The great lifter of her soul lifts her soul. That's unbelievable. The great lifter of her soul lifts her soul. This next part, I'm telling you right now, this next verse has wrecked me. Verse 20, and it says, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for, the, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And I need you to know that the due time, the due time is actually God's time, and that's the best time. You understand? The due time is actually God's time, and that's the best time. And I know that in this situation right here, I need to make sure you see this. In that right there, she prayed for something, and she got what she prayed for. And I know that many of you can sit there and go, I was there, that's what happened, I've been there. But there are many of you that haven't. And my plea and my, beg my begging with you is to keep praying and keep asking. The due time is the best time because it's God's time. Verse 27. For this God, this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. 28. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. God is saying he's yours for a season. I need you to be a good steward with him. And she said, as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And Eli, he worshiped the Lord there. The priest is worshiping by watching her prayer. And what God did. And so where does Hannah go? Where does she lean after this? When God grants her this beautiful, this request, she comes to him in anguish. It's been year after year that she's been ridiculed and bullied and made fun of. And then all of a sudden, the Lord opens her womb. She has a child. Where does she go? She goes to God. Look at what she says in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. To exalt means to hold someone in very high regard to think or speak highly of. Where does she go? She doesn't worship her son. She worships the God who gave her her son. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. You're probably wondering like I did, what in the world does that mean? My horn is exalted in the Lord. The horn is a symbol of strength, power, and victory. Like that of an animal who has a horn, you would see that there's great power in that animal who, who has a horn. And so like a ram, a bull, what she's saying is that my strength and my power are in you. My heart exalts you. My heart praises you. And I want to thank you. 
the beautiful thing about this prayer right now is that Hannah is granted what she has prayed for and then all of a sudden she goes to pray to God. And I want to tell you that 16 years ago on Tuesday, Andrew came into the world. When Andrew was 23 hours old, I got to be honest with you, I was bragging to every friend that I could find and that would answer my phone call. Here's the reason. My dad is the last rice. He has two sons, my brother Will and myself. So when there was a boy that was born with the last name Rice, I was like, long live the Rice legacy. And I was sitting on the phone. I remember this. I was talking to my friend. Uh, I was talking to my friend, Jeff Johnson from seminary. I was talking to him and I was like, yeah, man, I got a son. You know, got a son. And uh, hung up the phone, literally hung up the phone. As soon as I hung up the phone, two doctors walked in and a nurse. And looked us in the face. Dana had labored all day and had a C-section came over to me and they said, we believe that Andrew has a major deformity in his heart and we have got to go to Wake Med Hospital right now. You need to decide who's gonna follow us over there. We're gonna put him in a transport van. You cannot ride in the van, but you can follow the van. We fell apart. So we need to go see what his heart looks like. We need to do an ultrasound. We need to be at the big hospital. We need to take a look at what's going on. You need to go because we need to go right now. So I've just been celebrating my son. And then all of a sudden I'm going, what in the world is going on? So Andrew is loaded up in this transport van and my dad is driving and it's raining and then it's cold. And we're like, my dad is like NASCAR. I mean, dude, he is all over that van. <laughs> I was like, dad, please don't hit the van. <laughs> we get to the hospital. They put us in this thing called PICU and pediatric intensive care unit. They put us in there, they gown me up, my face is all with this mask and I got this thing on and they come in there and I'm with this nurse and I'm with my son and a, he's nine pounds, four ounces. I love that, by the way. But we're in the PICU and there's a lot of sick kids in there. There's a lot of kids that are born early. Right next to him were these two twins. One was two and a half pounds, one was a pound and a half. Andrew looked like he could swallow them. <laughs> he was just, he was there. They were trying to do IVs, they were trying to do ultrasounds. About two hours later came, was in the waiting room. Doctor came out and said, hey, here's the, here's the deal. Let me just sort of break this down for you. Every heart is like a nose. Everyone's is different. We're grateful that Wake Med Carry found that there was a problem. But when we've done the intense testing right now, I need you to know there's nothing wrong. He's fine. And I fell to the ground. And praise God, before I left for the hospital, my father-in-law looked at me as a slobbering mess I was. And he looked at me and he says, hey, you get it together now. I looked at him and I said, okay. And I reared back and I punched him in the face. In my heart. <laughs> the Bible says if you've done it in your heart, then you've done that. I'm just confessing. The next day I get back to the hospital. Andrew is, no, they come into the hospital. We stayed there, sleeping on it. All of a sudden we come back in and, and my father-in-law looks at me and says, I need to tell you something, Jack. That's his way of saying things. I said, do I need to sit down? Yep. He said, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. Abraham waited so long for this son to be born. He waited really long for him to come. And he came and God said, take him up to this hill and you sacrifice him. When Isaac was at the bottom of the hill, Abraham looked at all of the folks and he says, hey, you stay here, look at the pronoun, and we will be back and we will worship. It says we. Abraham went to the top, God provided a ram, they sacrificed that ram, Abraham and Isaac came back down and they worshiped with the group. 
He said, Matt, God gave me that picture right now because you know what? Andrew's greatest need in the world is not good parents. His greatest need in the world is King Jesus. The greatest way that he's going to see that is if he sees mom and dad follow Jesus. So you need to understand that no matter what a great gift he is, God is the great giver and we must follow him, please him, serve him, obey him, and follow him. And I just feel like that the Lord wanted me to tell you that. So when I read Hannah and I see what she was given, it just comes to me and goes, thank you, God. Our attention is to God. Our gift is from God. Not putting your praise and your worship in the gift or the answered prayer, but praising God for who he is and what he does. And that's what Hannah teaches us to do right there. The last part of that verse is Hannah's praise. So what does she continue to praise with? She says, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And so here she is overwhelmed with, God, you're gonna take care of my enemies. You're gonna speak truth to them. You're going to take them out. You're going to deal with them. What my mouth is going to do is not to talk to my enemy. My mouth, my mouth is going to praise you because I rejoice in your salvation. Verse two, there is none holy set apart. There is none holy like the Lord for no one is beside you. There is no rock like our God. There is an absolute unbelievable declaration through this answer of prayer to the God who answered the prayer. And there's none holy. Holy means set apart. So God, you are set apart. There's not even anyone that's close to you. There's no one beside you. There is no rock like you. He is the rock of ages. And then we take a look at other scriptures and we can also understand that in Exodus chapter 20, the 10 commandments have no other God before me, have no graven images, bow down to none of them because they are nothing compared to me. In Acts 4.12, it says, there is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved. And then we look at Jesus that it's on the cross and he says, it is finished. And he declared that clearly. And so here in our prayer life, in our prayer life, we gain confidence if God answers or if he doesn't answer and we get confidence in who he is. That's what Hannah does in this prayer, specifically asking God for something and watching him provide drove her to a life of worship in prayer. Deeper in that. What are our lessons? We have two lessons that I wanna cover with you and then we have an extended action step regarding fasting that I wanna call us to and talk about. Number one, prayer is the vehicle God uses to line our will to his will. Prayer is the vehicle that God uses to line our will to his will. Hannah wanted a baby so bad and that's not a bad desire. In verse six, it says the Lord closed her womb. In verse seven, it says the provoking went on year by year. In verse 10, it says she was deeply distressed and she prayed. In verse 15, it says she was pouring out her soul. In verse 17, she continued to pray. In verse 20, in due time, God answered her prayer. What takes place in this is that what we see here is that when we pray to God, we are lined up with his will for our lives. Galatians 4, 4 says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. It is God's sovereign timing. And what prayer does for us is it lines us up to see that, to acknowledge that, to obey that, and to be confident in that. It allows us to know his will. I don't want us to sit here and get frustrated at the way of God and how he answers our prayer and miss the glory of God that we have the opportunity to give him. I simply sometimes when we're in this, what Hannah really teaches us a lot in this text is she didn't allow the circumstance to distract her from giving glory to God, which is what we're about. And it's really important for us 
that we're in those weeds and we're in that time, whether we're in the cave like, like David was going, God, where in the world? Have you forgot about me forever? Or whether we're sitting here and we're asking God to give us something we know that he wants us to have, be fruitful and multiply. Ask. You have not because you ask not. So we keep asking, but we don't have. And what I want us to do is I want us to keep asking. I want us to keep going in boldness. I want us to keep being confident in who he is. But let's not let the way he answers the prayer be a distraction from the glory of himself. Point number two is this. Answered prayer spurs the church on to worship him, not what he gives. Verse 27 says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And here's the place, here is the point where the point comes from. And he, this is Eli, the priest, and he worshiped the Lord there. Because when we are a family and we communicate with each other what we're fighting for, what's overwhelming us, what's consuming us, we let each other in. And when we let each other in, we're able to fight and pray for those things for each other. And that when God, in due time, in his time, we're able to see him answer. We're able to celebrate as a team, as a family, and as a church. But we got to let each other in. I remember that. It seemed like every single prayer meeting that I was going to at the church I worked at in downtown Apex, when we were going to, it seemed like every single prayer meeting that we were going to, people were praying for Matt and Dana to have children. It seemed like every single time that people were praying. People knew, my father-in-law was the pastor there. My wife uh, grew up there. And so it was common for them to say, man, we just want them to have children. We just want them to have children. And it was a prayer. And then all of a sudden, on one Sunday morning, I got up to announce that we were gonna have a baby. A lot like this, I stood up and I asked him a question. Do you believe that God answers prayer? And everybody said, of course, yes, yes. And I said, so do I. And that's why I wanna inform you that my wife and I will be having a child sometime in January. And I'll never forget the eruption of a Jesus moment for that. It was about three and a half months later, Dana came to me and said, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm pregnant. This is three months after Andrew. Went to the doctor, found out that Molly was due 12 months after Andrew. And I had to make it another announcement, but since I'm very creative, I decided to announce it in a poem. I'm gonna share with you my poem that I announced that we were having a baby with. Roses are red and violets are blue. Andrew has been a blessing. Now it's time for number two. As <laughs> we did. That's as good as it gets. <laughs> Creativity, real low right here. But here's what I, what I, what I do is I, I, wanna, I want to show you that when we see God answer our prayers and we let each other in, we're able to worship, to confidently go before him and know that he is for us, not against us. Regardless of the answer that he gives in prayer. Verse two comes up here and Hannah continued to pray. My heart exalts, my horn is exalted in the Lord. There is none holy like you, for there is none beside you, and there is no rock like our God. And so for the last, really, four weeks, we've been walking through prayer. We've taken a look at the Lord's Prayer. We've taken a look at Jesus's high priestly prayer in, in John 17 that Adam did a phenomenal job on walking us through that. We've taken a look last week at a psalm of lament when you don't understand what God is doing. 
and you cry out to him. We've taken a look at what happens when we pray, God answers and what our response should be. Like what we've talked about, we simply don't want this to be five messages or five services set apart on just a prayer series. We desire it for it to be a culture of prayer, a culture, a community that is based on calling on the greatest name ever and asking him to do what he desires to do. And for this year to be a beautiful year of unity and celebration and honesty and going forward for the greatest mission in all of the world. And we do not believe that prayer is apart from that. We believe prayer is at a central part. It's right in the middle of that. It's the middle of your family. And that's why we as a staff and as an elder team, we want to call, call us, all of us, call you to a week of fasting. So what's going to take place is next week, we're going to set up this entire place in here for a place where we're going to pray together. We're going to come to the table and take communion together. We're going to sing together. We're going to pray corporately together. And we're going to do that for the fame of Jesus' name. That's why we're going to do it. And we're going to culminate a week of fasting by coming to the table. So the fast will be broken by coming to the table and doing what? Taking the bread that was given to us. It's his body. I want you to remember what I did for you. We're going to drink the juice that says you don't have to sacrifice a, a goat and a bull anymore. He's the lamb that was slain without spot or blemish. He's perfect. The veil has been torn from top to bottom. It's open for us to have a relationship with him. And what I want us to do is this week to just be able to pause and maybe give up some of the good gifts that God gives us, be it food or other things, and to use that time for an intentional deep encounter and to pray that we would encounter God individually and that we would have unity corporately. And that's what I'm asking for you to pray for this week. A couple of things on fasting that I, I want us to really understand so that we, we understand, you know, what is fasting? Not just calling you to it. Maybe you've never heard of it before or maybe it's new to you. I want to say that fasting is, it's involuntarily going without food or any other regularly enjoyed good gift from God for the sake of some spiritual purpose. I personally, I'm diabetic. I'm not gonna not eat all week long, okay? But I'm saying that there's other ways that we can go about this. Maybe this week, you have a big, big party that you're responsible for at your office. There are different things that we can take a break from and use that time to do what? To encounter the living God of the universe. A couple of verses in the scriptures that teach us a lot about this is, so we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty, Ezra 8.23. Joel 2.12 says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Exodus 34.28 says this, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor he drank wine, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. That's talking about Moses. And then again, Acts 13, 3 says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Prayer and fasting, those two together, are fuel for us to understand and fuel our desire for his presence in our life. What is fasting not? Let's talk about fasting, what it is not. First of all, fasting is not a diet. It is not something that we set aside and say, well, I'm going to fast because I want to lose weight, drop pounds. That's not what fasting is. Fasting is for a spiritual purpose, a purpose to encounter God in a real way. It's not a hunger strike. 
And it's not punishment. It is not desired to be punishment, nor is it. It's not designed for that way. And, and simply put, too, fasting is not a religious badge of honor. You know, we have mission trips here that we take our students on and that many of you have been on. We simply don't want mission trips to have a badge of honor like, oh, I've been to Haiti and Africa and Jamaica and Turks and all these places. And, and that's not what we want. We want, to be, we want people to be exposed to the gospel and how God is concerned about people all throughout the world. Mission trips are simply not a badge of honor. Fasting is not a badge of honor. Matter of fact, it was very, very talked down upon when you desire to pray on public places or fast and let everybody know about those things individually. It is a personal and corporate encounter with the God of creation. So what is fasting? Number one, it's an invitation from God to encounter him. It's an invitation from God to encounter him. Number two, a set-aside time to refocus our hunger on God. So many of you right now, maybe you have an opportunity to pray during where, where you work during lunchtime, and you're saying, hey, my fast is going to be once a week, and I'm going, to pa- I'm going to fast at lunchtime. I'm not going to eat, but I'm going to use that time to be in the Word and to pray. We are going to open up the office from 11 to 2 this week, our church office. You can come there, and you can, you can pray you can have the sunroom in the back or the main room right there, and we can, you, you can use that time just to seek the Lord. There will be opportunities for you to do just that. Number three, it's a declaration you want more of God's presence in your life. Fasting is declaring corp. What we're doing is we're fasting and declaring corporately. God, we want more of you. We want to see you move in such a real way. I would say there's a quote that I want to give to you right now. It's on fasting. It's uh, from John Piper's a book that he wrote, it says, without a purpose and plan regarding fasting, that is, it's not Christian fasting, it's just going hungry. And so there has to be a purpose. If I do a youth retreat, I've done a couple of youth retreats before and you've been a part of those, but if you come away with an action step, but you don't have, and you come away with, hey, you need to read your Bible more, but you walk away with no plan, it's really not going to happen. And so same thing with fasting here. We can talk about it this morning. We can call you to it this morning, but without a plan and really setting aside and thinking through it, then there is, you won't really participate like we desire and want to. So first off, what we want to do is, is encourage you. But number one is I want you to pick a fast. So there is a full fast. There's a partial fast. There's the Daniel fast. Or there's fasting from one meal per week. Like I said, you take off not eating lunch. Number two, I think it's really important for us to prepare spiritually. God, why am I doing this? Why am I taking a break from this right here? Well, here's what I desire and what I want. Number one is encounter, and number two is unity. I desire for you to encounter God like never before, and I desire for you to pray corporately that there is great unity among our body, that 2019 will be a, a year that is marked by great transformational growth. Great transformational growth. Then what happens here? So we pick a fast, we prepare spiritually. Then I would say number three is you, you, you plan practically. Plan practically. Like I said, you might have an office party. You might have people come into your house. That's already planned. You might have life group when you're doing a social this week or something along those lines. So plan, plan practically around your schedule. And I would say the last thing that I want to say is this, is I would ask you to participate. Pick a fast, prepare spiritually, plan practically, and participate. Here's what I want. Listen to the pronoun. Let us come to God this week. Let us plead with him. Let us worship him. Let us praise him. Let us confess to him. Listen to him. Obey him. And let us do this together. 
And then like I said earlier, what we'll do is we'll come in next Sunday morning. Tables will be set. A lot of folks will be serving communion in a smaller setting. You'll be invited to come to the table. We'll be invited to corporately pray together in our seats. There will be people in the back that will pray for you while the service is going on. Pray for you, pray over you. We will sing to Jesus and we will break this fast, this time of just encountering him by coming to the table and remembering his body was given for us and his blood was shed for us. And there is nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And our prayer is that this discipline, this discipline, this calling on the name of God, this hallowing God's name would be an opportunity that would mark our church for this year and years to come. That God, we desire to call on your name. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Every single thing that we do in prayer comes back to the glory of God. That's what we're here for. That's what we want to be known for. That's what we want to be marked by. That is what pleases God, his glory, and us giving him his glory. He deserves it. He deserves all of it. It is not for us, it is for him. And so that's why we come this week, set aside some time, seek him, pray to him, fast. Take a break in the normal rhythms of life so that we might be able to really, really listen to who he is. I love you guys. Looking forward to a great week of just encountering him as a body and as individuals all over the city, all over the world. Let's go ahead and let's pray to him right now. God, I love you and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in this place at this time. Lord, I recognize right now that there are a lot of people in here who have prayed to you and you have answered their prayer. They have prayed and been persistent, whether it be children or whether it be a marriage or whether whatever it might be. They have prayed, they have prayed, they have prayed, and you have answered. And we celebrate that right now. And we thank you for that. We thank you that it is those answered prayers that drives us deeper into a relationship with you and deeper in confidence in who you are. But Lord, we also recognize that there are many prayers that have gone unanswered right now. And we lift them up to you right now. Lord, we pray for whoever is in here right now that might be praying for their marriage that they've been praying for years and it is not any better. So we lift them up to you right now. You know who they are. I pray for them. I pray for restoration. I pray for conviction. I pray for confession and declaration. And I pray, God, you would overwhelm them with your goodness and your grace. I pray that you would drive them to know you in a deeper way. And I pray that they would own their sin and that they would come clean before you in order to go forward in you. And so, Lord, we pray for that. We pray right now for maybe there might be someone in here right now that doesn't, that's been praying for uh, children and not been able to have children. And, Lord, they have prayed to you and you have not given them that request. Lord, may you overwhelm them with your presence. May you grant them the desire of their heart. May your will and their will intercede in a supernatural way. And may their head be lifted up because you are the great lifter of our soul. May you pick them up. May their shoulders be back and their head be up because of you and all because of you. I'm grateful for what you do. May we, when we see you answer prayer, may we come and praise you. Not praise the answer, but praise you. May our focus completely be centered around the glory that is deserved your name. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.